So one of the things that I love about giving a talk on this platform is that um, I know that if you get bored, you've got a great view to look at behind me. So feel free to, to, enjoy, um, to enjoy the trees, enjoy the, the openness of the view and the sense of um, being on a kind of on a ship or on something that's just floating out into life um, at any point, at every point. <coughs> so I'd like to, to begin this talk with, with something that um, I noticed um, some months ago when Nathan and I were spending a few weeks together, just the two of us, and um, noticed that we were getting into this kind of dynamic of, um, you know, telling each other, oh, you're so great and I'm so crap, <laughs> in, a, in a very kind of humor, humorous way. But just getting into that dynamic and, and it was getting really strong very quickly, you know, just kind of like, ah, oh, you're you're so great and I'm just so like rubbish, you know, whatever, whichever words were coming up. And even though it was very playful, um, just to see that, that dynamic build up, how strong it can be. And this is, this is a really strong movement in all of us. You know, it's a really, really strong movement in, in all of us. This movement of evaluating ourselves through comparison. So, kind of measuring ourselves or knowing where we are through, through, the, through the movement of comparison. It's a really strong built-in mechanism in, in the human being, in the human way of being. And it's, it's one of, of the major ways that, that we build a sense of identity, you know, is through that that measuring, that comparison, you know, where am I in comparison to somebody else? And on a very deep level, when we feel that in us, we can see that there's a real, um, a real wish to, to find our place in the world that's kind of fueling this. It comes from a real sense of, of uncertainty, of, of who we are and where we are. And it also happens internally, so it's, it's very strong in comparison to others and, and that's the way it's usually spoken of in the tradition, but it's actually also very strong internally in comparison to ourselves. You know, I was, on my first retreat I was like this and now I'm like that, <laughs> you know. Or this morning I was like this and now I'm like that, like better than, worse than, same as, you know. It's, it's, it's all the time it, it's there, or a comparison to an ideal. You know, one day, who hasn't had this fantasy on this retreat, I won't even ask. One day I'll sit down and my mind will be still. <laughs> you know, which is another movement of this comparison. You know, one day in the future, comparing to some ideal, to some idea that we have. One day in the future. And it's, it, all of these are, 
yeah, very strong in us. And again, to just come back in a, in a very deep way, they're kind of ways of telling us that we're okay. <laughs> you know, kind of soothing that part of us that is often in a state of panic on some level of kind of what, what, what am I doing? Who am I? How do I know that I'm going anywhere? And so it's like, ah, oh, there's like, you know, one day I'll be like this or, you know, sometimes I'm not as good as they are and that's the known, you know, so that's kind of the familiarity. And it requires a lot of honesty and a lot of clear seeing to, to really see this and to acknowledge that it's happening, to open to it. To, to see how it's happening uh, so much of the time and on so many levels. You know, like it's happening so much of the time and on so many levels. And a real, hopefully I'll keep repeating this, seeing this isn't about beating ourselves up for doing it. <laughs> That's kind of not the idea. It's seeing this because it's true, because it's there, because it's an underlying current that's affecting us. So seeing us so that there's the possibility for less suffering, not adding the suffering of, oh, I'm doing this again. And so it can be also, you know, we've already had some laughs, so it can also be a good opportunity to see things that are funny, you know. And sometimes this can... can be a little ridiculous, you know, come into the hall and we notice oh, that person's beaten me to it again, they're here first, you know, <laughs> you know, the good meditator, the one who's here first, you know, or we, we walk away from the, from the meal queue with our plate and we notice somebody else's plate and it's like, oh, they're more greedy than I am you know, or they're less greedy than I am, or whatever, you know, but it, it just comes in all these little moments. Ah, uh, look, they're not doing their walking meditation again, you know, whatever it is. You know, and how that meets us, that movement. You know, does it give me kind of a sense of, oh, you know, so I'm okay not doing my walking meditation? Does it make me feel like a loser because I have been doing my walking meditation? Whatever comes up, you know, just, just seeing that, that it's, it's there in all its subtleties, in all its movements and, and ways of showing itself. And it's worth reflecting, you know, on, on moments that we've noticed that in ourselves over the days here, reflecting on it and seeing if we can connect to how that actually feels. You know, when that, that comparing mind arises, that movement of mind of comparison, how that actually feels. You know, how does it feel in the body? How does it feel in the mind? Is there a sense of edginess or contraction or tension building up? And can we see the, the suffering that's kind of inherent in it, in that movement? Can we see the, the suffering that's inherent in that tensing up, in that sense of separation, in that sense of putting someone down and putting someone up? You know, whichever someone that is, there's a, there's a movement of suffering in there. teacher I've known for for many years um, told me a story recently of 
you know, she, she was very clear that this happened a very long time ago, of being on retreat. And every time she would walk into the hall and sit down, um, she would start comparing people's haircuts <laughs> and who had the best haircut cut and who had the worst haircut with the kind of wish that she would always end up with the best haircut, but <laughs> just comparing haircuts, you know, and, you know, realizing after some time that that's what she was doing, you know, coming into the hall sitting and that was the story. That was what was happening. So in Dharma language, this movement of comparison, of evaluating in comparison to, is called um, the conceit of self. The conceit of self. And very interestingly, it refers to this movement of evaluation, whichever way it goes. So whether we're seeing ourselves as better than, worse than, or the same as someone else, it's the same movement. And this is it's interesting to point out. It's not just when there's an imbalance, when someone's up and someone's down, but even when we see ourselves the same as, it's the movement of comparison, it's that movement of evaluation that this conceit of self is, is pointing to. And the, the Pali word is mana, M-A-N-A, for this, um, this very strong habit um, of, of the human being. And the Buddha referred to it, to mana, as um, one of the most powerful habits of the human mind and one that dissolves extremely late on the path. So it's really there practically till the end, which is also interesting to know, just to give us a reference point. So again, we can use that to, when we see it in ourselves to... Um, not take it on as, as a judgment and as a, something that's wrong with me, but rather as a manifestation of a human tendency that is very, very strong in us. And this thing that Nathan was pointing to yesterday, seeing something and not making that who I am. So this movement of mind, this mana, this conceit of self, Seeing that as a movement of mind, mind, it's not my mana, and it's not who I am. It's a movement of mind that's arising in, in this human being right now. And it's a movement of mind that's shared by all human beings, including some of the most ones that we see as the most awakened or the most evolved. And so to really remember, you know, that when it arises, there's, there's causes and conditions. One of them is being a human being, and there's other causes and conditions that are feeding it. And so to really um, remember that, not to identify then with that, either with that sense of evaluation and comparison, or with a sense of shame or, you know, not good enough. I caught myself doing that. And so when we, when we see it, whatever we can do to relax the identification, to relax the sense of me and mine and I-ness around it, whatever we can do in there 
helps dissolve, helps dissolve this, this movement of mind. It's also very interesting because it's so um, prevalent, because it's so common in our experience. It can be a real interesting area of exploration for us. Um, and one thing we can see that it really has um, a spectrum from the very gross, like the example about the haircuts, yeah, from the very gross to, to, to very subtle, to very subtle movements of mind. Um, that happened there of this evaluation and this comparison. And it's also important to note that with the more um, subtle movements of mana, they can, they're very close to places that actually also bring growth. So, you know, many times when we think of how we learn or how we um, progress, if we use that, not very popular language in spiritual circles. We do that by being inspired or even modeling something that we see in, in, in someone or somewhere else. And so of course that's also, you know, we're using these qualities that we have, these abilities, mental abilities that we have to evaluate and to judge and to discern, oh, that looks like something worth having. And so it, it can be really close, and so it's really important not to um, kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater, that English expression, not because it, it has a sense of, of some kind of comp comparison or evaluation that means that it's not useful. Does that make sense? Yeah. So to really be kind of to pay attention there. And I was remembering some examples from my own experience um, one that was really coming up strongly is on the first long retreat I, I ever did, which was um, a long retreat at, at Gaia House. And there was uh, a bunch of us doing it. It was the November solitary month at Gaia House where there's a lot of people. Everyone is doing a personal retreat together. So everyone's doing a personal retreat, but there's also a, um, the possibility to practice together in the hall. It's a very powerful form. And something that was, was happening was that, um, you know, in the evenings after the kind of schedule had ended, the suggested schedule, it's just a suggestion schedule, there'd be a group of us that would carry on practicing later. Nathan and I were both, I think, in that group. And just reflecting on that, remembering some of what was going on. And so, that difference between uh, when something is just about comparison and kind of finding where I am to being inspired or being motivated by others is very much in the attitude. So in that case, the difference in the attitude between, oh, look, you know, the schedule's over, but these people are carrying on sitting. Oh, I wonder what that would be like, you know, of an openness and an interest to, oh, they're sitting longer, I'm going to sit longer. You know, they're doing it, I'm going to do it. They think they can sit long, I'm going to sit longer. You know, whatever, you know, that difference in the attitude, which is really, um, really key to understanding. So not, the motivation isn't 
doesn't have to be about being better than or competing with or then feeling bad because I'm really tired and I'm going to bed. Um, but it can be a, an interest, a curiosity and, and an inspiration from someone else. And we can also really feel that difference in what happens in the body and the mind. A sense of kind of openness, curiosity, interest, rather than a sense of a constriction and a selfing, you know, the eye getting really strong and being about like, I've got to prove myself, you know, I've got to prove myself to myself or to other people that I can do this, that I'm as good. And of course, in any one situation, both can be operating. <laughs> so for example, if I take this example again of that retreat, I really remember like being really motivated and inspired by other people. But sometimes there would also be that kind of edge of like, I want to be the last one in the hall, you know, because I want to be the last one in the hall. <laughs> not, because, not because my meditation is particularly fruitful at the moment, but because I want to be the last one in the hall. So, you know, again, great opportunities to, to laugh and to see the humor and, and to, to see how the things can be mixed. There can be a mixture and awareness of that, you know, seeing the subtleties, being interested and not letting go because there's also some competitiveness or comparing mind or mana in there. But seeing if we can align ourselves more deeply with that sense of aspiration that's arising, with the inspiration, with the, oh, I wonder, you know, and also feeling in that case the support, you know, support of a bunch of people carrying on practicing together, really opening to that and feeling that. So following the process, you know, many times there can be a sense of pleasure in something. You know, we do something and it feels good and wholesome and there's pleasure in that. And then the mana kicks in, you know, kind of, there's pleasure, something's wholesome, it feels nourishing, it feels good. And then the comparison, the, the conceit of self comes in and joins in, joins the party, we could say. And we start to compare and raise up or put down or say, okay, we're the same. Um, so noticing that, and, and often when we notice, and if we can relax, then that can also be let go of, and we can come back to actually the joy in whatever it is that we're doing, the fulfillment in, in just what is right now without that need to evaluate. And so turning our attention and becoming familiar with this movement, with this um, tendency that we have, is, um, has a lot of benefits. As we become more familiar with it, it gives us more choice of what to, to let go of and what to pursue. You know, or in Dharma language, you know, what to, um, what to abandon and what to nourish. So there's a great um, quote from Christina Feldman one of the senior teachers in our tradition, who says, the conceit of self, or mana, is said to be the last of the great obstacles to full awakening. Conceit is an ingenious creature, at times masquerading as humility, empathy or virtue. <laughs> 
It manifests in the feelings of being better than, worse than, and equal to another. And within these three dimensions of conceit are held the whole tormented world of comparing, evaluating, and judging that afflicts our hearts. Jealousy, resentment, fear, and low self-esteem spring from this deeply embedded pattern. Conceit perpetuates the duality of self and other, the schisms that are the root of the enormous alienation and suffering in our world. Our commitment to awakening asks us to honestly explore the ways in which conceit manifests in our lives and to find the way to its end. So pretty um, serious stuff. You know, when we look, when we really look at it, you know, not just a mental pattern, but so much of our suffering and the suffering in our world actually rooted in that, in that tendency to compare. So much of the separation that it creates, but also strengthens and enhances the me and you, the us and them, the self and other. And all the ways that we put ourselves down also. Really, really connected to this, to this human tendency. And so it can be, it can be interesting how to hold it, you know, how do we hold this? You know, on the one hand, we're told this is a part of being a human being. It's not going to go until the very end. (laughs) And on the other, we're told and we can see how much suffering it causes. And there's a real, we really need some kind of greatness of, of heart and of trust and of faith to, to hold that, to hold that when, and to open to it, to not ignore it, to look at it, to see it, to work with it. So, okay, in the long term, in the long run, this may be something that is going to be here with me, like my shadow on this path. And yet getting to know it, opening to it, turning towards it is the only way to (coughs) also dissolve it. And there can be moments of freedom. So always holding that sense of, you know, sometimes it can feel like, ah, this long path, this long journey that we have to do, and yet the freedom that's also available in moments when we do see it, just like we had here in the hall, when we laughed at some of the examples of it coming up. And the laughter is at ourselves. <laughs> yeah, it's not at something outside. It's at something, at something that we know, that we feel. starting to feel an unfamiliar panic that this talk may be too short. It's usually the other way around. (laughs) I just wanted to share that. See, comparing mind. Too short. 
shorter than usual. So, some ways of, of working, some ways of working with this conceit of self, some ways of working with mana when we, when we see it, some ways of being with it or opening to it. So the first one is to recognize and to acknowledge. And it can often help to give a name. So, you know, just, ah, here it is again. This movement, this comparison, this evaluation. It's here again. It's showing itself. And giving a name can really help. So I personally like this name, Mana. So just saying, ah, I see you. You know, in the text, it's always, I see you, Mara, which is someone else. But in this case, we can just adopt it. You know, I see you, Mana. You know, I just see you. You're here. This is here. This movement is here. So recognizing, acknowledging, naming. And often just by doing that, there's a natural relaxation that comes. A softening or an ease that comes. Another way of, of working with it is paying attention to what is happening in the body. So the movement will be a mental movement, but paying attention to anything that is related to that in the body or how the body is feeling right now. And seeing if it's possible to relax the body, either specific tension in the body or the body in general. Seeing if it's possible to relax it. And that can also just make a little bit more space for the movement to, to be there and for less identification with it to happen. So also this um, thing we've been playing with a little bit of the stretching of the awareness um, that we've spoken about a little bit, the stretching of the awareness out into the whole body, that can also really help. So if we feel, we see this movement and there's a contraction around that seeing, stretching out the awareness so that mana is happening within a bigger field, a larger field. That again can create space and less identification. Sometimes when we notice the movement of mana arising, there can be a, a, an element of pushing it away. So, or pushing something away. Yeah, it can be um, some pushing that sense of, um, that I spoke about in the beginning, of some sense of groundlessness or not knowing our place. So we're, we're actually trying to push that away by creating some clarity, some boxes, some um, order in the world. <laughs> you know, of who's, who's where. And so noticing this movement of pushing away something in our experience and seeing if we can just allow experience to be as it is. And if there's a sense of tension or of actual aversion or pushing away to relax that or to open space around it. So allowing what is there to be there and relaxing around it, making space around it. 
noticing the layers of, if, there, if there's some layer of identification happening and seeing if we can relax that as well. Another practice that can be helpful is this reminder of not me, not mine, not who I am. Not me, not mine, not who I am. Whatever is arising, so there'll be the movement of mana and there might be a sense of pleasure or pain around it, depending on where it's going. Yeah, there'll be a sense of building myself up. Oh, I'm so great or putting myself down, or I'm so terrible, or I'm just like everyone else, I'm nothing special, whichever way that meets you. And so seeing if in that movement of, of building a self, all of these are movements of building a self, if we can remember, not me, not mine. This movement is not who I am. And this isn't mine, you know, this isn't my meditation. <laughs> This isn't my food, even. <laughs> you know, just relaxing the movement of identification and just that mantra, not me, not mine. This isn't who I am. This isn't who I am can also help to, to, to create more, um, more, more space so that this movement of mind can also just pass through, not get too stuck. Another interesting exploration is noticing the changeability. You know, noticing the, cha the changeability of this, of this movement of mana. So sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not there, stronger, weaker. You know, in the same meditation, we might be the worst meditation in the world and the best meditation in the world, you know, me meditator in the world, just, just within 45 minutes. That can happen. So noticing that changeability, you know, when it's very gross like that, it's very easy to see. But just noticing how it flows, it changes through the day. It's not permanent, it's not solid. And it's not saying anything about us. And the last way of working with this is cultivating qualities that have the opposite effect. So if we're speaking about mana as very much um, something that causes separation, causes identification with self and separation, and negative kind of states of mind like jealousy, like low self-esteem, then cultivating, intentionally cultivating wholesome qualities that have the opposite effect. And so we can really do that when we notice the presence of the conceit of self, when we notice the presence of mana, we can acknowledge it, name it, see it, and then turn towards qualities like metta, or its sister practice, mudita, 
which I'll talk about in a minute, less familiar. So we can really then turn immediately in a moment towards that. You can't hear me? Okay. Did you hear the last bit or I need to repeat? Yeah. Okay. So I'll just repeat it because, you know, I've got time anyway. Um, <laughs> in the end, it's going to be a really long talk. I mean, you're probably already excited. Yeah, sure. But let's see where this goes. So when we notice the quality of manner, which causes separation, causes a sense of self and other, we can notice it, acknowledge it, name it, and then turn to cultivating qualities that actually do the opposite. So instead of causing separation and the narrowing of the sense of self, they actually um, open us to, to our interconnectedness and help dissolve the sense of self and other. Help dissolve these movements of putting down and raising up. And actually are much more about kind of cultivating the sense of the whole. The sense of the network that we're part of in life. And so particularly um, metta, which we've kind of started to dip into here, and um, mudita, which is what I call a sister practice to metta, and I'll talk about it in a minute, are very, very effective um, in doing this. And it's important to work with them both in the moment, when we feel the sense of separation, the sense of self-conceit, um, but also at times when we're relaxed and at ease um, and we're just nourishing them then so that they become more accessible to us in times that are difficult. And they're very powerful practices because of this ability they have to really address the core of the separation of self and other and the core of the issues of self-esteem that most of us in the West have, you know, a sense of not being good enough as well. And they also really support the calming and the steadying of the heart-mind, of the citta. Really, really support the calming and the steadying and the gathering of the heart-mind. So metta we've, we've spoken about a little bit. <laughs> and some people here are familiar, but it's really that practice of, of cultivating a sense of goodwill and friendliness towards our experience, towards ourself, and um, towards everyone in a kind of unlimited, unconditional way. And it's very effective as we've done it here as a formal practice but also as a kind of on-the-spot practice so we notice aversion or we notice conceit and we bring it in you know we just start doing metta to ourselves or to someone else in that moment and it radically can change the experience and if it doesn't change it in that moment it just strengthens strengthens the momentum and so I'm I'm continuously um, amazed by the power of this practice and I'll just share my latest wonderful discovery <laughs> which is that even at times when I'm having a very challenging situation with somebody 
that's ongoing and maybe has really long history, but there's now a friction. There's a capacity to send the metta, even while this is going on. And this is so transformative, you know, because the, the conflict is still happening. The disharmony is still going on. It doesn't change that bit necessarily, but the possibility to send metta internally changes my resources, my capacity, and sometimes also how I can be in that interaction. And it connects to something that is deeper than these surface waves of the conflict. So it's, it's an incredible resource in the practice. And yeah, you know, I'm a great advertising board for it. I just love it. So, you know, if it's not your practice, it's also fine. It's not everybody's cup of tea. And then mudita belongs to the same group of qualities as metta. And there's four of them. Metta, karuna, which is compassion, mudita, and um, upeka, which is equanimity. And there are four qualities that we all have that naturally are within us. Um, but there are also qualities that we can cultivate. And there are also qualities that um, shine through someone who's awakened. <laughs> very, very strong in people that are awakened. So they're kind of the practice and the goal at the same time. And they're called, called um, often translated as immeasurable, boundless, limitless, unconditional. And that kind of gives a, a real flavor of what they're like. So we start cultivating them from where we are and they naturally exist in each of us but they are limitless, so, you know, there's something we can just keep doing. And they're wonderfully nourishing. And as I was just saying from my own experience, the boundaries just keep expanding of what is possible. And so mudita is translated usually as um, sympathetic or appreciative joy, which maybe doesn't mean much. It's a bit of a, a, bit of a, of a, of a strange um, idea. But it basically is the joy that we feel for others. So the joy and the appreciation that we feel when things are going well for someone else. So that's kind of the sympathetic or the appreciative joy. And my experience has been that we actually need to start this practice with ourselves, just like with, with the other boundless ones, just like with metta, uh, because often we don't actually pay enough attention or know how to appreciate enough our own joy, or our own well-being, or when things are going well for us. So it's, it starts with ourselves, but its real emphasis is on um, enjoying the good fortune, let's say enjoying the good fortune of others, enjoying the good fortune of others. And it's like... Um, it's like a hidden gem, <laughs> you know, it's something that is so, we, we're so not, um, it's so not spoken about or encouraged in our cultures. And then when we discover it, it's like a hidden gem, that possibility to be happy when things are going well for someone or in someone else's happiness. And the Dalai Lama has this wonderful 
saying about this, I can't remember the exact words, but he kind of says, why be, why be satisfied with just your own happiness and the happiness that you can have only in your own success and your own, you know, when things are going well with you. If you expand into Medita practice, so much more happiness is available because there's so many more beings that you can rejoice for. <laughs> so it's kind of a very Dalai Lama kind of saying, but it really gives this this sense of just actually what that, what that offers to us. So if you're interested just to say that the practice of Medita would be very similar to the Metta practice using phrases, but you just adapt the phrases to that kind of quality. So a phrase like, may I learn to appreciate the joy I experience, would be a real wishing for myself to increase my capacity to enjoy and appreciate the things that are going well for me. And then you can turn that to somebody else. May you learn to appreciate the joy you experience. May the joy you experience continue and grow. You know, there's all these lovely phrases and I'll put them up on the board. So if you feel like experimenting with that, you can. And I'd just like to end with, with a short story about Mudita and its incredible transformative qualities. Um, I'm going to try and go for the short version. Some people have heard the long version <laughs> of the story. And so this is something that happened in the, um, in the leprosy community that we do a retreat in every year. And it happened on the last retreat in, in January. And I had lent my phone to one of the, um, of the beautiful old gentlemen in the old people's home. Uh, I lent him my phone to make a phone call to phone his son. And it was a whole, it was a whole procedure <laughs> to get that phone call happening um, with a few people involved, a few of the other old guys involved in saying, you know, put it on speaker and try the second number, not the first, and, you know, all kind of really involved, especially two of them. And just to give the background that a lot of, of the people in the old people's home, they either don't have families or they've lost contact with their families because they've been rejected by their families. So something like a phone call to a son is, is a very precious thing. And obviously they haven't got money to to have mobile phones themselves. And so finally, after all these, you know, all these kind of trials and attempts, the, the phone call was, was going through and, and he was sitting in the courtyard talking to his son. It was on speaker so everyone else could also hear because he was a bit hard of hearing. So that was the only way to get it loud enough. And he was speaking to his son and you could really hear, I didn't understand the language, but you could hear the joy both in, in his voice and in the son's voice, you know, at this kind of completely unexpected thing of his father calling him. And they were talking to each other and there was so much joy. And I was standing there just kind of taking it in. And then I looked up and I saw two of the other old guys who had helped this happen, sitting on a bench very close by listening they could understand and their faces were radiant with joy 
just radiant with joy at his joy, you know, that this was happening. And I don't know what their story was, you know, if they have sons, if they don't, if they're in contact with them, if they don't, it didn't matter. In that moment, his joy and his son's joy was their joy. And it was so complete and so full that my heart just went boom and was so big and so full. And it was a real teaching about that capacity that we have, even in very difficult conditions and with having very little, to fully feel the joy of another, to not be caught up in the comparison of mine and yours, but to really be alive and to be with what is good and what is positive and what is nourishing right here and now. So yeah, we have that capacity. We have that capacity. And it's available to us. So let's just have a, a quiet moment together to, to bring this to a close. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.